Yeah, I'll start over again here. Yes, Luther. <laughs> let's go from Augusta, now let's go to Luther, right? <laughs> okay, as Augustine read these verses, he said, No further would I read, nor did I need to. For I instantly, as the sentence ended, by a light, as it were, of security infused into my heart. All the gloom of doubt vanished away. As he read these verses, especially let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And that spoke directly to him because he knew his wanton lifestyle trying to uh, fulfill his fleshly pleasures had run the limit. And as he reads these verses, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust. Uh, All of that kind of thought. All the gloom of doubt that he'd been carrying around that was on his shoulders dropped. And... uh, of course, the rest of the story is, is that he later became a presbyter and then a bishop of Hippo for 40 years. And his influence is probably maybe the most, or right at it, he's definitely in the top five of the most influential people outside of people in the Scripture, namely Jesus Christ. <laughs> but outside of the ones listed in the Bible, he is one of the top figures of the Christian church. Because what he did, he wrote some major books, one called The Confessions, and that was really about what his life was about, which is really uh, a lot of young men, young women, the same story. Uh, Not only did he do that, he wrote a book on Christian doctrine. He wrote things dealing with doctrine. Uh, kind of a systematic theology in that sense, I guess you could say. He wrote On the Holy Trinity, a major book. And then The City of God. Anybody heard of that book? He wrote that. That was a major work. Luther, who is given so much credit for the Reformation, borrowed a lot from Augustine. And Calvin borrowed as much or probably even more, it is stated. From him heavily he took and formed his theology. And uh, as we look at what uh, his life had done, you can see how much influence then it made on the other reformers to come after Calvin and on in through uh, the 1700s, through Edwards, and on up through the 1800s to present time. And Calvin's Institutes, uh, the two volumes, uh, the four books that he wrote, A lot of that really comes from Augustine's thinking. So he borrowed a lot. Now, he argued against a lot of different types of philosophies and religions that were challenging Christianity. One were the Manichaeans, which he had originally been with at one time. He argued also against the Donatist, and then later Pelagius. And we know that the the Augustine-Pelagius debate is very similar to what it is today in our society. Or you can say semi-Pelagian or Pelagian. Pelagian didn't even believe in the original sin, which means that it's it's brought down 
all the way from Adam and Eve to us, as it says in Romans chapter 5, but that um, we all are separate from that and it's up to our own free will. Of course, Augustine believed in predestination and election and, um, of course, he dealt with um, the matter of the will. Of course, uh, Luther wrote a book on bondage of the will. Be a lot of the way that uh, Augustine thought. So Romans 13, 13 and 14 really uh, is a summary of his life. Verse 13 described what he was. And verse 14 described what he became as he put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as Christ was put into him. Uh, so we'll get to that text sooner or later. It's, uh, but when you think of that, it's uh, definitely a, a ringer to who this made an impact on. Barb, I think you had a question there. Just a comment. Um, I find this fascinating because I heard of Augustine, you know, even growing up Catholic, and um, it required reading in a lot of Catholic curriculum. <coughs> I have a friend whose son is in seminary, Catholic seminary, and it's required reading, and I never knew until now that he wasn't Catholic. Well, the Catholics claim him, and the Protestants claim him. Of course, that was back way back before the Roman Catholic Church was established like what we would know it now. Uh, yeah, he's called St. Augustine. Um, but he, as far as his understanding would be, I think that he would have come to the conclusion him being a saint was like, we are saints also. But uh, today they would take him as uh, an official saint and uh, going back through their history. But if they would really see what his theology really is about, which there are Catholics who, uh, there's the Augustinian monk line, which is what Luther was. He came through that that line. And uh, there are some Catholics that actually believe in uh, election and predestination. Now figure that out with the rest of their theology. And it will... uh, It'll just kind of blow your mind if you try to wrap that around your thinking because it's not going to make sense. It probably blows your mind, too, because they're probably born. Certainly is. Well, I, I think yeah. They, I think that's why they believe when you're born a Catholic, you know, born to a family, then you're part of that covenant. I think it's kind of an easy thing for them to think that they have an election, that they are above those that are born differently. Yeah, I think it's just a whole <laughs> yeah. Now, to become a saint, you have to do how many miracles? <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I mean, yeah, somebody yeah, here probably knows that. <laughs> a Catholic saint, how many miracles? Is it three? Three. So, do you happen to know what Augustine's miracles were? Writing some of the books that he did. <laughs> I don't have the answer on that. <laughs> They would probably like to have claimed Luther, but uh, he just went overboard. He lost it. (laughs) No. Hitler is in purgatory working his way out, but Luther's not. Hitler has a better chance, right? Yeah, Luther can't be saved, but Hitler, yep. Let's pray. (laughs) That's good. 
Father, we thank you and uh, we praise you for who you are. Thank you for your truth, and as we uh, once again look into it, may we see that not only is it uh, an exercise for us, for our minds to be thinking upon your things, but also that uh, your Word and your Holy Spirit would change our lives constantly, for we are always reforming, and we'll be reforming until you come back. And uh, we want our lives to be able to show the person of Christ in us. As we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, He is there. We just need to realize uh, that uh, He is our life. And thank you for changing a person like Augustine and raising him up at a time that needed to be. And uh, we still have his works today. Uh, Not that he is, in a sense, uh, equal to Christ, and we know that he's a man. But he's a man that you used uh, in mighty ways. And we thank you for what it does show that you take Scripture and your Holy Spirit and you convert lives, and everyone sitting here, anybody that as a Christian has had their lives changed. And uh, to that we say, thank you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 8 through 10 is kind of a section where we've kind of almost been before, that we uh, were in back in chapter 12, dealing with behaving like a Christian and having affection and brotherly love and giving honor to people. And then not only that, but loving uh, our enemies and uh, not repaying evil for evil and, and on, on and on that goes. And then in 13, he shifted and um, kept the same kind of thought going on, but uh, how we relate to the government. And now he gets back to loving the, our neighbors. And so he says in 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, you should not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are are all summed up in this saying, namely, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. After having all the doctrine that we would uh, ever want through basically your first 11 chapters, we get into chapter 12 and practicality hits and uh, he's reminding us again of what we are to do with what has been put into us. And he comes back to about loving our neighbor. And then he will say to end that chapter to put on Christ. For that is how we can do these kind of things. Verse 8 it's interesting. He starts off with, Owe no one anything except to love one another. There's been a transition verse, um, verse 7, where it says, Render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due. So he says, Okay, pay your taxes. Whoever you owe, pay them. And then he comes into verse 8 as he's talking about owing to the government, for instance. Make sure that you pay them. Then he says, what you want to concentrate on here in this transition passage, owe nothing to anyone in the sense that as far as you want to make sure that you pay what you have. He's not saying that we are not to borrow 
or there shouldn't be lending because there are numerous passages that deal with that. It's not that, that it's wrong uh, biblically to, uh, to borrow or lend. But uh, we were talking about paying taxes. Love is something, though, that we will always owe. Owe no one to anything except to love one another. He's saying you're going to always owe something. What is it? Love. You can never expend it. You can never get to the end of it. You always owe everyone in this room, all your neighbors and anybody that you come into contact with, you owe them love. You are indebted to them. Have you ever thought of it that way? You are indebted to everybody to love them and you'll never reach the end of that. Matter of fact, that's one of the gifts that will be eternal. What's the greatest gift? Love. The greatest of these is love. So we will continue. Um, we'll always owe that. We'll never satisfy our obligations in, in this area. That's something that will never be satisfied. But, but pay what you owe. If you owe somebody some money, you know, work on it. You know, pay that. But you'll never get it done as far as love. Leon Morris said this, We can never say, I have done all the loving I need to. This is because love is a permanent obligation. A debt impossible to discharge. You owe a debt to everybody in here. <laughs> Have you thought of that before? That's love. And uh, that's quite a statement as, as Paul comes off of the tax issue and then says, here is what you uh, must always owe. Now, the reason I said it doesn't mean one can't borrow, and I think some people have taken this verse and said, see, owe no one to anything. Or, no, owe no one anything. And they'll say, oh, that means you can't borrow from anybody. You're not to do that. And they'll, they'll take that verse and say that. And, um, if we were to go even back to the law, go back in the New Testament, in uh, chapter 22, as... Uh, Early as the law was given, I think the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, one Exodus 22, he's still dealing with the law. Twenty-five says, if you lend money, this is if that if that's going on, to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him, you shall not charge him interest. Now that's interesting. <laughs> he says, Don't charge interest. But you can lend it to him. But don't be taking advantage uh, in that situation. Look in Psalm 15. Go all the way to Psalms. Psalm 15, 5. He, Psalm 15, 15, 5. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Um, usury. Um, interest rates that would run extremely high. It's not necessarily it's even wrong to do interest, but the ones that take advantage of people. Usury here went as high as 50, 60 percent. Those are loan sharks. <laughs> I mean, my, that's what they were doing. And sharks are not biblical because they have fins but no scales. Oh, no scales. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
unfair business practices, yeah. So anyway, um, there we get a little light on that. You can go back to Leviticus 25, again, part, part of the law. Thirty-five. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. Here he's saying, okay, you can lend him the money, but don't take advantage of him here. And this guy in poverty says, don't even don't even charge him interest. You know, help him out here. It's not saying not to get the money back. Um, he says in 37, you should not lend him your money for usury, you know, that high uh, interest. Or, nor lend him your food at a profit where you make money off of it. Somebody in a terrible position. Other passages uh, have there, Nehemiah and, and in Psalm. What does this passage mean? It does mean this. All Christians have a perpetual indebtedness. How about that? This debt of loving everyone, uh, we will forever owe. We'll forever owe that. And that's a good thing. Another thing it means is uh, to love to love your husband, to love your wife, to love your kids, to love the rest of your family, uh, to love a few friends. And that's about it, right? Uh, and the people in the church. Well, to love your what? Your neighbor. Of course, the neighbor extends out from you, not just the next door neighbor, but we're talking anybody that you come into contact. Matter of fact, it means to love everybody. We've already seen that. Where he even says to love your enemies. Wow. We have a debt to do that. We we owe it to them. <laughs> we love our enemies even ungodly ones. Quite an extreme standard that we have seen from Paul in chapter 12 and 13, isn't it? Especially when he got into the government thing. Aren't you glad that that we got through that section? (laughs) Last week was a holiday, and I want you to know, we only had three or four people here. No. (laughs) We had more. (laughs) I'm saying, you know, I wonder if we're going to be in that tax section again. Well, I really get convicted. No. I was sick. <laughs> you weren't the only one. I was stuck up in Columbia. <laughs> I don't want to hear excuses. <laughs> I didn't want to give it to anybody. Actually, I was kind of relieved that I got stuck up in Columbia. <laughs> oh, well, now you're saying, now you're telling us, eh? That's what I thought. Do we need to review? <laughs> no. No. That's a good section. I think we spent a month in that. In fact, this section here, you're right about the part that says that I'll probably never get that paid off. I'm not doing real good with that, actually. That love and everybody thing. You're never going to get it done. I don't like a lot of people I work with. Now, now you better better turn that around on the the other side because some people are going to misunderstand you, what you're saying there. What are you saying? My granddaughter, her, she's got a bunch of that loving. And, uh, you know, I don't even like the people that I love very much all the time. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? What's that mean for you now? (laughs) 
<laughs> means we have a lot of work to do, don't we? A lot of work to do. <laughs> We're working into that. Oh, let's look in Luke 10.27. Oh, you're going to go to the Bible. Glory to God. Luke 10.27. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 5.44 Quick review. Sermon on the Mount. High standards. 43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We like that part. No, what does it say? But, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That will show that one is a Christian, because if we don't have, says in First John, if we don't have love for others, it shows you that we're not even believers. I mean, he just draws it up black and white. Either you love people or you don't. If you do, you're showing that you are a Christian. If you don't have that biblical love for people, then you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Wow. Heavy stuff. Biblical love. Yeah. See, I'm thinking... Not the other kind of love. I'm not... You know, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not really enjoying being with these people. And, you know, I'm... Well, we're not saying ha- making friends with everybody. I, I could yeah. do that. Right. I could do that. I had to do something for them. I could do that. It's just that, you know, it's not like... It doesn't feel like love. Okay. Me. Well, this this takes us right into the next section. Oh, good. Love is much more than emotion or feelings. Oh, we all want to hear that, right? Oh, yeah. Now, that should relieve us. We are to do, But we are to do good to all whether they deserve it or not, right? We are to demonstrate this in in a practical way by ministering in physical ways. Number one, do good to a neighbor. I'm saying not maybe not necessarily your next, you know, to somebody outside you, you know. Um, another good way to love, uh, found in Ephesians 4.15, is uh, to bring truth to them. And in Ephesians 4.15... He says, but speaking the truth in what? Love. Grew up in all things unto Him who is the head, Christ. So, truth and love have to be balanced together. Truth without love is not going to be received too well. And just love and the, you know the, the lovey-dovey type stuff without truth is totally meaningless. It's like the people who say... Um, Oh, Jesus being the way, truth, and life, well, I accept Him as that way, but to everybody else, they don't have to accept Him that way. Well, the truth is, Jesus says, if you do not see Me as the way, truth, and life, you're not going to inherit eternal life. (laughs) You know, He is the only way. Very narrow, but that's a truth. There's a lot of truth. But teaching God's truth and and living it, you know, and uh, that balance, that, that is love. Teaching it, living it, for the fact uh, if uh, somebody is lost uh, as uh, being an unbeliever, and we know that they're heading on their way to hell unless God comes in and does a miraculous way, if we don't say something to them and we have a perfect opportunity to say something, it's like we really don't care about them. 
But if we give them the truth, they may like it or they may not. They may get real mad at you. But the thing is, you did it because you loved them. If that was the reason uh, that you gave them the gospel, the truth, then that is a great way of demonstrating love uh, to unbelievers. That's the most important truth they could ever get, isn't it? Uh, we're to teach uh, believers even, and you know, to uh, and that makes us all, in a sense, whether you're an official teacher or an unofficial teacher, we're all should be teaching the word of truth to people and um, to people who maybe uh, are there waiting for it, but they just don't know what they need to hear. And uh, it's a great thing to, to give that to them. Another way of uh, loving somebody is forgiving. We're to forgive as Christ has forgiven us whenever they've done something against us and then we forgive them. Uh, Ephesians 4.2, we can go on and on, but uh, he tells us to walk worthy of the calling, which we are called, verse 2 says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. So we're dealing with humility and gentleness and patience, all that, you know, for the fact that we bear with them and, and love. Godly love is characterized by, by these kind of things. The, the biggest way to define love, though, is willing to sacrifice, willing to give yourself up or something of yourself Christ demonstrated the greatest act of love that anybody could ever do as He gave Himself up on the cross as He died specifically for us as believers. And so He sacrificed Himself and we know that that is the perfect picture of love. That's the ultimate picture uh, of what agape is or agape. Self-sacrificial um, that's the best way to demonstrate it. John fifteen thirteen. Jesus says this to the disciples. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. <laughs> Anyway, all of his uh, love his word, but he says uh, this is the greatest love. Right? Uh, lay down life for your friends. That's the greatest demonstration of what love is. And the next question will be, how is this possible? How can this be done? Because this is extremely high. This is not natural. This is a godly kind of love, and it's so far above us, but it's not anymore as Christians, because God has already provided the resource. As we go back to Romans 5.5, 5, and He has poured out in us, what? Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out very generously in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So He poured out all of His love. He pours it out continually. Every day, it's like getting new blessings from Him. I mean, as He pours His love into our hearts, we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us then to demonstrate that so we have no excuse. Go to Ephesians 3, Before you go 17. There, yeah. yeah. I mean, but it's just like when God gave the Jews the law. It's, it's impossible to completely fulfill on your own. You have to have, you have to call on 
fall on, on grace because we'll never love the way Jesus loved. I mean, it's it, it's impossible. You just said it all? I mean, we, we can't do it. You just said it all? Yeah. It's, it's, it's relying totally upon His grace to be able to do this thing that is so high, way above us, but we have, like you say, we have the grace uh, of Jesus Christ. And see, it focuses there. It focuses back to the cross. We're told to do something, told to do something that we cannot do, but yet we look at this and say, yeah, now we can. Matter of fact, we're expected to, and we are to do it. We've been empowered to. He pours it out in us. Here's what we do. Yeah. It's all by His grace. Well, Ephesians 3, I think this um, I'm getting right where you're at. Verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Did you catch that? According to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Here we go. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. See, it's like we are a fruit uh, of Christ in a sense. And we have been rooted, grounded into the ground. That is where everything is coming from, from the very person of Christ. He's dwelling in our hearts. We're grounded in Him, in His love, so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the width and length and depth and height. Uh, That's all to, to know the love of Christ. Verse 19. So as we peer into His Word and be strengthened by that, and knowing where we're already rooted and grounded in, it's all by His grace and it's all by Christ, that we would know the love of Christ. If we can start learning the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that is extreme, isn't it? Filled with all the fullness of God. But He has given us everything that we possibly can have to do this act that He tells us to do that would be humanly impossible. And there's where just throwing yourself upon His grace and saying, I don't, I can't, I can't do this to the, those people. Yeah. Yeah. But we do know we're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think as we look at Scripture here, like we're, what we're even doing right here, right now, and as you're through your daily reading and such, that we want our inner man so strengthened that Christ who lives here in us, that we're rooted and we're grounded in this amazing love that we would know from the very bottom to the top and inside and out, which way, every which way, to know the love of Christ. Well, that goes beyond any knowledge. This, this I would think, would be directly related to fruit bearing. Uh, you yep. Know, the, the, the self-sacrificing or deliberate, you know, try, being filled with the Spirit so that Christ can love others you know, through us as a vessel. Um, making decisions daily like, well, do I love myself better or do I love you, Lord, better? So what am I going to do to show you I love you? So I'm going to sacrifice something that I want to do for somebody else. It's like those plants that you gave me tonight. You know? <laughs> going somewhere with this. <laughs> now you're getting, getting yourself into trouble. You're going to tell everybody that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
okay. you really want some plant plants and we got some free stuff and free plants and uh, you know and it, and it's that's nothing that I really enjoy doing but you know everybody's going to call you up I'm, tomorrow night and they're going to ask Bob I, did you I go out there I prefer to her <laughs> and her her desires hey, on this tell it Bob go and let it out man that's a deliberate decision yeah. you know it's yes, it is and you don't have to like you don't have to like it but God will show you blessings from it if you do it wow you know, it's like you just have to make a decision about it tell us next week how that went you know Julia loves this. You like this, Julia? Isn't this great? Anybody got anybody? Anybody that got a witness? Hot or sweaty or something. I don't know. Like, Spirit working. Come on up. Come on up. Really, Benny Hinn's working. Yeah, you got that show. That's good. That's practical stuff. That's giving yourself up. I don't want to do this. The hard part of all of this, is, and I heard this today. You know, we're to deny ourselves. That is like the hardest thing. And and I, the definition that came that I I was listening to one of Francis Chan's sermons today, and he's saying Christ is asking you to come up the same hill he went up and to die with him. And when it is presented, when it was presented to me that way, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what deny and take up your cross. When Paul was crucified with Christ, and we just want to fluff a lot of that off and just you know and and you can't it is would you say your flesh hates that oh yeah the battle starts <laughs> let the you know let the battle continue but isn't that the definition of a hypocrite you do it because you should do it not because you feel like doing it but you should do it because that's what God would want you to do so you just do it well you do it you because you know it's right but your flesh your flesh is the hypocrite you have an inner man here is that who is strengthened with the very grace of God. And you obey regardless of what your flesh feels like. And it's not being a hypocrite because it's saying, I want to do because I know it's right. There's another part of me that does not want to do it, and that's natural. That's the natural man. Okay, so that's the same thing. Like, so I have this problem with forgiveness. <laughs> you probably didn't know that, did you? Let it go. Let let it out. Go. (laughs) You go too now. Just Just go. You know. You know. I mean. I don't think I'm all that different than everybody else. I. You get people do mean, evil, nasty things, and then you say, okay, I'm good with that, and you walk away, and then it comes up again, and and you think that mean, evil, nasty person, and they say, oh, I don't want to think like that. Oh, that, and then you go back and you think it again. So. How many times? <laughs> it's not like you. It's not like you forget them and then you feel like all warm and fuzzy all over and it's all good because it isn't. It's not a feeling. So it. it so you, you know, and the mind. The mind. So you're saying. Is love it's love okay. Okay. So that is forgiveness is like the room. same thing like you're talking about. <laughs> it's intentionality. It's something that you just you just do, and you just know that okay, if they're in trouble, then you'll be there for them. You just do even it. Even though when you turn around, you think that mean ass person. That's all we're talking about love. Well, you ask God to help you with that. Well, that's in here too. Forgiving is in here too. Yeah, and we're most like God when we do forgive. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. I know that. So then practice. But it just keeps coming. You know, I mean, it just, it's not like it goes away and you're okay then. 
I mean, I'm trying to give it and just let it go. You're in a loop then. Forgive it and let it go. So you're stuck. If you're stuck in that, I'm you're, because you keep thinking about the bad feelings. Well, there's, there, and, and, you know, and there is a spot. If somebody has sinned against the Lord and they have an unrepentant heart, and even send, they've done something against you, but what they've done, they have offended the holiness of God, for instance. And maybe they've done something against you. You throw that back to God and you say, okay, uh, I'm hurt by what happened here. I'm just being honest, okay? But God, I really know that it makes, it affects your holiness even more so because you are extremely holy. But I know an unrighteous thing has been done. So why are they after you? Because you're your father's child. nicey, nicey, softy, softy. It's giving truth. We always have that balance of what true love is with truth. I mean, if we go up to somebody just to blast them and to give them the gospel, and you give the truth, but it's with... You're in triage, is what what you're at. And it's just like if we went back to the Civil War. What did they do in triage? They cut off body parts. And so they had a big mound of, of legs and boots. 
that were piled up is because you cut it off. You took, you took a saw and you cut through the bone and you took a hot iron and you cauterized that thing to keep the person from dying just to keep them alive. These people are going to hell. And they've got to know that. The people yeah. I work with every day are going to hell. Somebody says, where am I going? They're going to hell if you don't repent. That's where they're going. And either they're going to like that and they're going to see it as not nice or some people will say, I'm glad that he was either not nice or nice in bringing that gospel truth to me. How they respond to it is how that word is going to be probably think of it. They're probably some people are going to take a, one as being uh, what very mean if they give them the, the truth of the gospel about hell and the wrath of God and such. Other people may respond to it and not see it as as a mean thing at all. Of course, and Jesus came in. Of course, whether it was the, the cleaning the temple or uh, his woes that he said to the scribes and Pharisees, the hypocrites, uh, all of those things. But he did it because he gave truth. You know, because there was a that sense of telling them where they were at. Yeah. But we taking basket, but but when we're personally attacked. We don't have the right to shoot back. And we don't shoot back. Right. And so there's one thing about the gospel, or it's some. It's another thing about if somebody has affected with what they have said and used their mouth, or what they have done, or how we're going to respond to this person because I just don't like this person, you know. But there's there is still that that love has to be there, whether they're lost, whether they're saved, whether you don't even know the love in the sense of seeing that God created them, even as evil as they seem to be, God created them in the image of God. So the love is still not that feeling thing. It's great when we do have the feeling to go along with it. You know, a lot of times we don't even feel like worshiping God. And we may go through a whole time and not feeling like it, but we still do it anyway. If, if, we, if, we, didn't, if we went by our feelings... I don't think we'd ever get up out of bed. I loved, uh, you know, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, it's 7.30, I'm going to get me another 15 more minutes. I might get another half hour. I don't feel like going in today. But if I don't, what's going to happen? I have to do it. So I do it because I know I'm supposed to. I know that that is the thing to do. Yeah. Isn't it great, though, if you go to your job and you feel like really going? I can't wait to get there. Well, it's great, but does that happen all the time? What would you say, Zach? I don't see an alarm clock demanded in Scripture. (laughs) Okay. So it's okay, right? Right. There is no alarm clock in Scripture. That's right. I guess there was that one time at the ministry. Let's go to 1 Thess uh, chapter 4, verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Okay, we're taught by God. We're just showing why and how it's possible to do those things. First Thessalonians, or no, 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 First John, four sixteen. No. <laughs> Feel the love. Feel the love. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Best definition that 
God is love. You see the whole aspect of God, even the wrath of God and His justice. All that is a part of this God who is love. Galatians 5.22, you don't have to turn there. Fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one? Love. Okay. It Absolutely. It, he puts Himself on display. And uh, it's a love for who He is and what His nature is, His character. It's a love for His truth, His holiness. And to some Want to spend an eternity? With I, I don't know about unbelievers. And evidently, that's what a lot of people would like, because he's going to let them all in. Universally. Angry, Bill. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's things to be angry about, and when you're, I mean, when, when we're on this, really on this subject, you know, it's okay for people to offend you. It's okay for people to offend me. Is when they affront the gospel is where the resolve that the, the answer must come. I mean, okay, so so they don't like me. So I told them the truth, and they didn't react well to it for a while. But it's when it's when they despise the gospel, when they despise Christ, that that the line is is drawn. You're dealing with the religious and the lost. That's what they're supposed to yeah. do. They're sinners. They despise it. You got to be compassionate, along balance that with your. Uh, well, it's the same. Your, the, the, the same God that inspired this passage that, that we're reading here also, in Matthew, said, "Cast not your pearls before swine." Right. There comes to a point. Got to be discerning. If, if a man's going to reject the gospel and he's going to reject Christ. And I think we have to sometimes distinguish believer-unbeliever. Sometimes he's talking about a brotherly love with other believers. Other times he's talking about you know people who are religious and they're stuck in that. You know, but you still have to have you know this this sacrificial love to give yourself up to even offer that. So the love of the ungodly, as I see. A lot of these passages, the love of the ungodly is commanded. When it says love thy neighbor as thyself, it didn't say love the godly neighbor as yourself. It said love your neighbor, whether he's godly or whether Anybody. he's not. Yeah. But the love may look differently. In other words, towards the ungodly is holding him accountable with his sin. It's law and gospel. So if I love the ungodly, I present law to him which will break him. If he is the repentant, then I present the gospel toward him, which is Christ is for you. This is the same way with anybody else. If I'm loving, some, loving someone who is ungodly, I hold them accountable. If I'm loving someone who is in Christ, I remind them of the gospel. You draw them, you draw them to you. Well, the, the gospel truth. Uh... Yeah, but I mean, it's still love. It, it, one, one may look harsh and hard and cold and and maybe even sarcastic. The other one might have the warm fuzzy feeling, but it's still love. It's not about the feeling, it's an action. Yeah. But it's still love. Hey. 
Phil? I don't really think you should have said, let's say it, uh, you know, what you said earlier about uh, whenever Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. Because that, that to me, is like going against me and my brother. Because we're still, we're still kids. And it's not right to say that. Was that the language? Yeah. The filthy rags? Um, go back. To, go to those ten the commandments. Okay, if we practice this, loving another has fulfilled the law. We have the commandments, and he doesn't name all of them here, and that's not the point, but he does take commandments that come from the second table, which is dealing with uh, other people, relations with people. The first table, the first four commandments deal with um, loving God and relating with Him. So he names uh, adultery, murder, stealing, uh, false witness, coveting, that kind of thing. And what he's doing here is... God's love, first of all, is not going to do this. Here's what it's not. It doesn't commit adultery. You know, it's just the, the Ten Commandments. And, that, and we know what the world is thinking of the Ten Commandments anymore. They, they want the Ten Commandments out of state buildings, capital buildings, federal buildings. They want it out of the school. They want it out of everything. Um, but the thing is, it's still built in. To people, uh, adultery is not a good thing, and it's kind of funny whenever somebody is caught in adultery, like even a David Letterman who represents the world, and the world says it's okay. We find out he's caught in adultery, and now what's the world doing? They're condemning him. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying what he did was right, but isn't it interesting? There's a double standard that the world does, and the law is the law. It's one standard. Godly love does not commit adultery. Because this shows disregard for another's purity. Godly love um, doesn't rob others, doesn't take from others. Uh, Godly love doesn't um, rob of of their lives. It doesn't uh, doesn't rob them of their property. Someone who's dealing with stealing or um, murder or coveting, uh, any of those kind of things that's dealing with that second table of law, um, that kind of sin never comes from love. So he says, here's, here's the commandments, and here are the actions that people do, but that means it didn't come out of love at all. Any of those commands that are broken, you know, do not do this, it shows that one doesn't have love for that one. Love doesn't rob others of uh, their lives and their property. So he gives the summary right at the end of this section, um, when he says it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Back in the 80s, there was a real big deal about self-love, self this, self that. There was even a magazine called Self. And the psychology of that time, which is still going on, it's it's about, it's about self. And... Um, when you think of that 
they would use this kind of verse to say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And they would take it and mean something on the opposite side of what it's really saying. Penny knows what we're saying there. Because... That philosophy is still around. It's alive and well. That magazine is still out there. And and what they're trying to say is, well, I have to love myself before I can love someone else. Right. So I have to work on right. loving myself. And what's the fallacy in that? You That's the problem. You love yourself way too much. don't need any help with that. <laughs> Even when one commits suicide, they'll say, well, see, they didn't have love for themselves enough. That was a problem. They they thought too much of themselves, and they didn't meet the standards where they wanted to be, so they took their own life. Uh, so this verse is not to be used that way. And, of course, as, as Jesus had, had used it and said elsewhere, it's, it's not meaning that. Um, but there... You can take this, all the laws of God, really, that concern human relationships, it's, it's summed up right here in, in this. Or it's the royal law. You know, James 2.8, same thing. You can go through any of these epistles. And we're dealing with a sacrifice of oneself. And James, very practical book, is telling them... Uh, don't be playing favorites with people. And he's telling um, you know, you know, don't you know, choose somebody who has a lot of money so you'll be noticed by them where you could have helped out somebody over here. Uh he's looked down upon a poor person and such. Well, they're not going to be of any value to him, so you put them aside, you shove them to the back. Then verse 8 says, "If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. If you really fulfill that. The royal law, or it's better translated as the sovereign law, or the supreme law, or binding law. It's the supreme law, the royal law. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. What about the golden rule? Same thing. You know. So, uh, it's, as a matter of fact, we've seen it in Romans already. And we've seen it in Ephesians and other places, uh, Philippians, that we are to esteem others higher than ourselves. The word I was trying to think of earlier was what? (laughs) Self-esteem. Biblically, that's our problem. And as we were pointing out earlier, we are to die to that. That's called sin. Can't win. (laughs) Can't win. What do we do? The more you think you're right, the more you're wrong. (laughs) dying, dying, dying the cost of discipleship taking up the cross dying to self forgetting self seeing others as higher than self so you know there again it's um, one of those kind of things that um, it's about God being glorified and, and not ourselves and if our motive is that that God would be glorified in all of our actions, we're going to keep that proper balance. And where it takes to be tough, you know, you've heard of tough love, then that has to be applied. If somebody is willing to repent and they need to hear the truth, uh, offer them the grace. That's a great thing if if it's dealing with uh, talking with somebody. Uh, Sometimes it may mean uh, that 
there is even a time when, yes, we are to forgive 70 times 7, but there's a sense where they are not repentant and they are not repentant against God. There is a sense where how can you forgive somebody when they are not wanting to be forgiven? You know, you, you see what I mean by that? I'm not trying to make it say something else than what I'm saying, but if there is a not a repentant, we're ready and willing to repent at any moment, at any time. Or, I mean, to forgive. But if that person has done something against you and they're still uh, holding the grudge on you, what else can you do? You, you try everything it said in chapter 12 uh, to live, if at all possible, to live peaceably with all men. That doesn't mean it's always going to happen. It may not even feel like it, but yet you've done what you know what you have done. And so there is... Uh, that's, we are to be angry, but don't let the anger go down. What? The sun go down? Get get that. There's a righteous anger, but it's only because God's righteousness, His holiness has been offended. If we would take it off of ourselves and say, this is not a righteous act what they've done, I want to take it back to the Lord. And let you know, and then let him deal with it. In our hearts, we're ready. If there's something that there's needs to be forgiven, we're ready to do that. We might say it in our own mind, but that person may not want your forgiveness. As far as they're concerned, they didn't do anything wrong. But in your heart, you know, you you know what you you have to deal with. There's that. Is next week's lesson going to be a little bit more uplifting and peppy? <laughs> <laughs> when we get to the fun part. Well, we're going to be putting on Christ, and we're going to tell you guys you're going to have to quit being drunk and being in revelries. Well, this one was still better than last week. Okay. <laughs> as hard as this one. Okay. Okay. Really, that was a drudgery. Well, if we were to go on, and, and we're not, but look in verse 11. Okay, it follows up. Okay, love is the fulfillment. That, that's how this is done. Of course, who fulfilled the law? Christ did. If we have Christ in us, that's how we can fulfill it in our actions. You know, and, and being that person of Christ, letting Him, I mean, you know, totally fill you. But wake out of your sleep. There's some sleeping. I'm not so sure if I saw any eyes closed. But <laughs> and then he goes on to say about our by our own actions. Barbara, are you flustered at at this passage? No. I think she was trying to throw it at you. Ah. Says nothing about loving an inanimate object, so you're probably.